Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome back to the Reformed Dissenters, the show where Reformed Christians dissent against popular ideas of culture by asserting a biblical worldview. I'm Bruce Johnson, joined of course by my brother Jacob Johnson. Hello everybody. And today is Current Events Monday. We are breaking down once again current events from a biblical perspective. Lots to get into there. Um, There were elections last week and that has numerous implications. Um across the country. We'll be discussing one of those, particularly in depth, um, which also connects to a larger issue culturally uh, that really needs to be addressed. So um, some not so great stuff happened, which is what we'll be discussing, and you should know about it. Uh, But then after that, we've got some theological stuff. So Jake's got a warm up for us. And then I'll be talking about the peace and joy of a Christianized nation. So that horrible thing happened last week. But what is it actually going to look like in 100, 200, 300 years from now when we have more Christianized nations or when a nation emerges more Christianized than America or America is revitalized? What does it look like when a nation is actually Christianized? So lots to discuss here. But before we get into all that, we have to do what we always do, which is talk about our verse of the week. Our verse this week is Psalm 34, verses 1 through 3. Uh, So three verses. This passage says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And again, that's Psalm 34, 1 through 3. So this is one of those uh, instances where we talk about um, how we vote, we talk about how we build businesses, we talk about how we structure um, societies, we talk about how we um, have a Christianized nation, and things like this are how we can do that, right? Extolling the Lord at all times, his praise will always be on my lips, right? This is that idea of not having um, sections of society that are just let go, that, oh, that can just that can just stay over there, and, and that's fine. Um, but we'll Christianize this part of it, and we'll just leave that part over there unchristianized, right? There, there, is no, there are no parts of society that we can just neutrally say, eh, we don't have to Christianize that, right? The praise of God should always be on our lips. Um, that's why it's so great to work at Christian companies, be able to work alongside fellow brothers and sisters in Christ all day, because then the praise of God can always be on your lips and you're not being fired because of it. But if you are, and you're in a place where you think that's going to happen, well, maybe you need to consider why, why am I still here? How can I get out of here? How can I work in a place where I can actively be building the kingdom so that the praise of God can always be on my lips. And there isn't this constant threat of being fired because Oh, you'll sit in one of those companies and you'll think to yourself, oh, well, I should be a good witness here. And I should just, you know, if I, if I go, who's going to spread the gospel here, right? But are you actually (laughs) doing that? Are you actually living in a way that will spread the gospel? Are you actually allowing the praise of God to constantly be on your lips? Or are you more commonly doing the human thing and thinking logically and thinking, ah, if I get fired, then I can't spread the gospel. And if I spread the gospel, I get fired. So better not spread the gospel because then I get fired. Oh, shoot. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so uh, <laughs> there, and there's the vicious circle. 
So, so think about that. How can you be building businesses where the praise of God can always be on your lips? How can you always glory in the Lord and let the, how can you let the afflicted hear and rejoice? How can you glorify the God, glorify the Lord with other people and exalt his name together with fellow saints? How can you be doing that? Uh, so I think this passage is a really good call to, to those sorts of things. So, all right, Jake. What do you got for us? You dug into one of the one of the things that got voted on last week. Um, what's uh, what's on the docket for today to discuss? So, I didn't quite. I, I've recently heard about elections that happened, um, and I, if I'm stupid, please let me know. But I didn't know that those affected these types of things. Well, no, obviously voting for people. I, like I don't mean it that way. But I didn't know, like, while you were electing a person, and it was, I think it was the House and Senate that it was electing, right? Isn't that the elections well, that were going on? Sort, sort of. So they were also state elections, right? Local elections. Okay. So what happens is there are ballot measures. Um, and we had this in Pennsylvania back in 2020, actually. That was the first year I could actually vote, which was like, woo. Um and we actually had, we were allowed, we got to vote on the lockdowns. We got to vote on emergency powers. Should we allow the governor to have emergency mm-hmm. powers and all those sorts of things? And so I got to vote against giving the governor emergency powers, which was such a cool feeling. Um, so so this, was, this was one of those things, right? It's a ballot measure because there are just some things that have to be passed down to the people directly. So it's it doesn't go through the house of representatives or it does. And there's a special process, but at the end of the process, it has to go to the people and whatever the people yeah. decide that's what gets passed. So that's what this was. Uh, in okay. Ohio. So I didn't necessarily, I knew ballot measures and all that type of thing, but I didn't know that those were considered elections or if those yep. were coupled well, in with happen, this. So they happen at the same time. So yeah. when elections happen, usually big things like this will happen too because the ballot measures okay. happen at the same ballot box. So, so sorry if if people are like, "What? Jacob doesn't know about this?" I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not stupid. <laughs> I just didn't make that connection. So you could consider yeah, yeah, me yeah. stupid. That's fine. I'm okay. With that. <laughs> well, I didn't um, before. I had to vote for it either. So, well, yeah, yeah. Leading up to it, we got a preview of the ballot, and I'm like, "What is this extra thing?" And I had to look into it and get it explained to me. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Until you actually and that, into that, it. This, that is what I'm going to be talking about today. So, abortion. Again, we're back on this topic. Seems like almost every other week I'm talking about abortion or something like that. Um, but it happens to be the key topic this week. And because Ohio just signed into its state constitution the right to kill. Children. Innocent children. That's what they signed in their state constitution. Now yeah. what what do what do if that would be in our national constitution? What if that was in the US Constitution? That would be awful. So we we kinda hope something like this would never happen. We like hearing after what happened with Roe v. Wade, we were hoping that this type of thing wasn't gonna happen, but we heard rumors that this type of thing was going to happen, and it did. Um, however, hopefully, everyone, at least in our audience, 
understands the great weight of this decision. What what is it? What does it mean for something to be put into a constitution, a state constitution? That's not something that's easily taken out. You don't take something out of a constitution very easily. And it's not just like a normal law that you can just say, eh, put yeah. that law down, we'll put a new one in. No, this is something that, that sticks. And it sticks long. But I'm not going to be talking about that specifically. This is a ballot measure, as Bruce was mentioning before. And the issue I want to bring up is that it's not just about abortion. Like, I, I did mention abortion being the key thing, and that's what everybody thinks this is, but that's not it. And Bruce is also mentioning that there were, like, in ballot measures, they love to hide things. They love to put little things in there to make you think, oh, this is something else, when in reality, it, it's terrible. But many who read the amendment, who read this amendment that they just added to their state constitution... Um, they say that the wording is very vague and even that it is so vague that it allows, uh, them, it allows anybody following this law to do anything they want, basically, when it comes to people's bodies. Yes. Yes. I am talking about transgendered surgery as well. Wow. This, even though it pertains to abortion, it is so vague that it could pertain to transgender surgery. And it doesn't stop there. Added to this bill was the legalization of marijuana. It's another bad thing. Um, not good thing. But also, also, and this connects with the, the abortion issue, this law even allows minors to get an abortion without parental consent. Wow. Imagine the ramifications of that. I didn't know that one before. That was interesting. Wow. Yeah, yeah. But especially with this law having giving the ability for you know, transgender surgeries, who knows if this could fit together with this without parental consent, transgender surgeries all the time. Yeah, to minors. Without parental consent. Yep. We already hear throughout the school system that that's happening to kids where literally during the school day, they take kids who who think that they want to be the other gender and then they just take them and they do it without the parents ever knowing. Hmm. That happens all the time. So yeah. the question being, how does a reasonably red state like Ohio put through an act like this? And, and I say reasonably because it is slightly purple. Um, trickery is my answer. Trickery is what is happening to this state. And let's be honest, several others. Those small little, um, what was it, watermarks people were to calling them? I think they're... I thought that um, was a... Are they earmarks? Earmarks. That yeah, that sounds a bit Maybe. better. Sounds sounds a bit m closer to being right. But inside of these ballot measures, there are small little things that, unless you read through the thousand page paper, you won't see them. And I wanted to bring this up because this goes along with uh, the most recent GOP debate that went on, 
where Ron DeSantis spoke about the referendums in a bill like this, and that more people should pay attention to them. Of course, a refer- yeah. Referendums are exactly what what we were just describing. Those those yep. earmarks, those small little things that people don't pay attention to mostly, but they are there. They they do a lot. Surprisingly enough, well, I mean, it's it's the trickery of the left. That's that's how they've gotten done what they've needed to get done. However, before I speak more about all of that, I first want to mention another reason for this law being able to be passed. As Bruce and I have said before, to quote Tug Wilson, as goes the pulpit, so goes the culture. Christians are responsible for the wrongdoings of our current culture. We have failed in our mission to Christianize and disciple our nation. And as an example, and as an example, we have our culture. But to to specifically mention this and why I bring this up is that um, a Christian bus driver said in response, so someone asked him, oh, why did you vote yes on this bill? Why did you vote for this bill to go through that actively was known to put abortion into law. <clears throat> His, this person's response to that question was, we don't want the government playing God either. So, of course, wow. my response to that would be, um, yes, we do. The <laughs> civil government, and, and, and not what you think, not what you think. No. It is not in. It is not a garden of itself, but it plays God. It needs to. The civil government is God's servant for good. It is literally playing the role of God. He does. He enacts God's law, and I understand you think that I mean that when I say that it is playing God, it can do whatever it wants. No, I'm saying it is playing what God wants him to do. It is playing that role in our society. Hopefully that makes sense. And hopefully people are not like, wait, you're being hypocritical. You said that differently before. No, no, I, I'm i not contradicting myself. I'm saying this. I just have a little bit of a different way of wording that. But <laughs> um, back to the first point of trickery. Republicans in Ohio were tricked into thinking this ballot was something else. Most people thought they were voting on the Republican base, when in reality they made the biggest blunder we have seen in a while. Which is, I say while, but the last blunder was not that long ago. We're making blunder after blunder, which makes complete and total sense given our current society. With that being said, this directly correlates to my theological warm-up. And I really want to speak about the, the correlation between those two. Trickery and Christians failing. Mostly in the fact that Christians are failing, or, or to rephrase that, Christians are very much passing at being ignorant. They're very much passing the test at how ignorant can you be. I titled my uh, theological warm-up, The Angelic Demons. 
And let me start out with a verse, uh, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, which says, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That kind of is to show you why I decided this verse. Uh, sorry, why I decided this um, title, The Angelic Demons. Because even the evils of this world will disguise themselves as demons. And I will... Why is that important to us as Christians? Well... That kind of should be obvious, but I will explain that in a little bit. I also go to Revelation twelve nine, which says, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. I bring up this verse to talk about the deceiver of the whole world. Again, to the very point that Satan is a deceiver. Evil is a deceiver. Deceiver. There will be trickery in this world, and we shouldn't expect anything less. Satan <laughs> basically is a deceiver. He tricks, and his angels of darkness are no different. His offspring, his the evils that he instilled in this world are, are not that different. God defeated the evils of this world, but that does not mean they don't want to bring us down with them. <clears throat> They hate God's creation, so, therefore, they hate us and will do anything to destroy us. So, don't trust them. So, therefore, what is our call? What are we to do against such evils? I'm not speaking about just going to church or trying to save a church congregation of saved Christians. Obviously, going to church is vital, but I'm speaking more specifically and practically. What are, we, what are we actually talking about here? Going to church is great. But what are we talking about specifically here? God says to us in scripture, for us to be wise and discerning, we are to cut through the lies and deception with what? Truth. Hebrews 5.14 says, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Wow. That's, that's weird. God telling us to actually do some work. To be mature. For us to have our powers of discernment trained. What is training? Training is a very long process. Arduous, in fact. Of continually practicing and doing something. So you're good at it. And what are we supposed to be good at here? We're supposed to be good at discerning good from evil. Being able to see that. Specifically in this world. Philippians 1.9 says, And it is my prayer that, you, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Paul prays that we would grow in knowledge and discernment. Discerning good versus evil. That's exactly what that last passage was kind of saying. There are a lot of scripture verses here. So I'm just going to keep going through them. Hopefully hopefully it makes all sense. <clears throat> Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Again, another verse which talks about testing, 
trying out, practice even. So you find out what is good. Lots of uh, moralistic language here. Matthew 10, 16 says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. That isn't good enough to convince someone that God cares for our mental capacity. Discernment. Again, discernment is our decision-making process. Discernment is trying to test and see what is good versus evil. If that doesn't prove to you that God cares for that, then I don't know what what will. But honestly, I, I have so many more verses. So if you still have doubts, I can show you more. And with that, I conclude my wrap-up and this monologue by saying Christians need to research, discern, consider, and think before acting. Or in this case, voting. To give an example and to end with this, what does discernment look like in our world? What What is that? Think of BLM. Right. If we were to take BLM, Black Lives Matter, right? Think about that. Do Black Lives Matter? Yeah, you agree with that. You would have to say Black Lives do matter if you were an ignorant Christian, right? What is BLM actually? What does it mean? What do these people actually say? They hate people. They hate God. That's what these people say. And that takes discernment, that takes research, that takes considering and thinking before just saying, I'm a part of BLM. So with that said, hopefully, Bruce, you'll have a little bit of a better time there. Yeah, that was great. Thank you so much for all the prep that went into that. Um, And it's really well, really well stated. I commented yesterday when I was looking at this um, that you just have a ton of verses, uh, in a, in one list, which is, which is fantastic. <laughs> so, um, and you were like, I just couldn't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> Too many good ones. Yeah. Too many good yeah. ones. Yeah. That's, that's great. Um, what I have to say is, is a little more cheery. Um, <laughs> I hope so. Uh, it's not something we we focus very strongly, very heavily. We have for the past two years on the kingship of Christ, uh, actively attacking the world and conquering his enemies and fulfilling Psalm 110.1, where all of his enemies are being made his footstool, right? Which is glorious and wonderful and one of the central themes of the gospel. But to what end? What's the end result of that conquering? And that is the peace and joy of a Christianized nation. So after all that conquering, what did God have Israel do? Enjoy. Enjoy the land that I've given to you, was what God had Israel do. After they conquered hundreds of enemies, hundreds of God's enemies, right? So what does it look like to describe the peace and joy of a Christianized nation? Quote, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. Psalm 33, 12. Things work best when they operate the way they were designed to operate. When God originally created this world, he designed it to operate in a state of bliss. 
we've talked about this state of bliss, the state of peace and prosperity. And that's Genesis 1.31. The command was for humans to be fruitful and multiply. And we were given the perfect environment to do just that. That's Genesis 1.28, if you wanted to look into that. Uh, God placed man in the garden, Genesis 2.8, and gave him incredible places to explore, Genesis 2.10-14. And he provided him with a perfect existence on this earth. It was glorious. It was it was bliss, right? Um, it was the perfect union of heaven and earth. And then the fall, of course, ultimately cursed man's existence and caused all of earth to groan until Christ came. Now, in the age of restoration, we're in the in the age of restore of the restoration of all things, and so we see a gradual returning back to that glorious state where earth and heaven are one again, right? Back to that glorious state man was originally originally placed in. Except now we see this done in different ways through Christ. The blessings of peace, prosperity, joy, and everything they contain are found in King Jesus. And we, as fellow heirs of Christ, Romans 8, 17, share in his possession of the earth and the joys and peace the earth was always meant to be full of. Quote, but the meek shall inherit the earth. And shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Psalm 37, 11. Right now, Christ's kingdom is expanding to reach every corner of this earth. And with this expansion comes joy and peace. Haggai 2, 6-9. Because we are being restored from one degree of glory to another, 2 Corinthians 3, 18, back to what we were originally created to be, this, this, this uh, joy and this peace comes with it, right? It comes with this expansion because of what we're being transformed and restored back to. When the kingdom of Christ pushes into yet another corner of the world, the evil and idolatry of that place must be destroyed. And a good example is 2 Kings 14.4. In the old covenant, God conquered the land through Israel and used them to wipe idolatrous heathen worship from the parts of the earth, right? From large parts of the earth. Today, though, he works through his church, to recreate all of the wicked heathen practices and institutions in his image. So he's actively recreating everything that the heathens have, right? The meek are going to inherit all of that. All of the things that they have, God is restoring and recreating in his image. And that's what we're working towards through Christ. We look for opportunities to restructure the things God has put in front of us, according to his word, Colossians 3.17. Now, this is not an easy task, but we're guaranteed that it will be successful, and we can see that in 2 Corinthians 10.4. In the end, quote, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, Habakkuk 2.14. This will be the ultimate culmination of joy and peace. And every time we use the word of God to build Christian societies, businesses, and institutions today, we catch a glimpse of the joy and peace Christ is working into this world through his kingdom. And this is Isaiah 2. Two through four. This is glorious. Quote, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. 
He will judge between the nations and will decide disputes for many peoples. And they will beat their plowshares, I'm sorry, beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, neither will they learn war anymore. And that's Isaiah 2, 2 through 4. That's what we're working towards. That's the glorious image of what's going to happen to this earth in the coming years. As Christ builds his kingdom on earth and restores it back to what it was originally created to be. So um, I hope this episode was informative. I know I certainly learned a lot from what um, Jacob was talking about. So um, I would look into that. Jake, did you ever mention what that was called? Ohio, um, what, what was that actually? Title one or something? I think it was title one, right? Issue, issue one. Issue yeah. one. Yeah. So look into that further. I think there'll be links in the description below so you can check those out. Do your own research. But in the meantime, remember what the goal is, what you're working towards. Remember the peace and joy of a Christianized nation. And remember that when you start working to Christianize the town you're living in, or you look around you for brothers and sisters in Christ who are doing the same thing, work with them, get together. That's what our verse of the week is talking about, right? Let us exalt the name of the Lord together. So hopefully this was an encouragement, but also a really good call to action. Thank you for watching or listening. Uh, we hope to see you on our Wednesday episode. We're breaking down the next few chapters in David Chilton's book, Paradise Restored, uh, which is actually where I got several of these ideas from our chapters this week. So that should kind of cue you into what we're going to be discussing. So um, hope you're looking forward to that. And you've got caught up with your chapters. Um, and then also we have our discussion topic this Friday. So we missed it last week. Um, things happened. Jake came down with something. I had a really busy week. So we decided to postpone it to this week. So... Look forward to this Friday's discussion topic where we discuss our very next um, installment in the America's Poisoned Heart series. Um, and we hope it's interesting. So thanks for listening, watching. We'll see you then. And remember, everyone, in all that you do, do it as unto the Lord. <laughs>